appreciate it here. Let's go to our ring announcer. Welcome to the show that brings you all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling. It is now time to go beyond the bell. Welcome everyone to another edition of that Pro Wrestling Nostalgia Podcast that's taking the world by storm. Yes, it's once again time for Beyond the Bell, powered by the SNS Radio Network. And I'm your host, ring announcer, Sean Beckerman. This is where we turn back the clock to rewind and relive all things classic and retro in wrestling. This edition of Beyond the Bell is a part of our Gimmick Gala, the gimmicks of professional wrestling. Tonight, we discuss wrestling's greatest gimmick changes. Some wrestlers latch onto the perfect gimmick early in their careers, while many more switch it up on their quest to find the one persona that wins fans over. Here's Beyond the Bell's take on the most shocking, impactful, and all-around best gimmick changes in professional wrestling history. The Godfather. It's not uncommon for a wrestler to change his gimmick many times over the course of his career. But what's impressive is when a competitor finds success with each of them. Though he's perhaps best known as the Godfather, Charles Wright first came to prominence as the voodoo-practicing Papa Shango with his signature top hat and face paint. Soon after leaving the WWE, Wright reappeared as Kama, the Supreme Fighting Machine, a brutally effective brawler who went toe-to-toe with The Undertaker before rechristening Kama Mustafa as part of the Nation of Domination. This would ultimately lead to Wright's most successful persona, The Godfather, which saw him utilize the services of his hose on his way to a WWF Intercontinental title run. But as the edgy attitude era came to a close, Wright changed with the times, adopting the gimmick of the morally upright good father and showing the full impressive range of his many personas. Charles Wright, one of the greatest gimmick changes in professional wrestling history. From the Godfather all the way down to Papa Shango, we saw it all with Charles Wright. Gold Dust. With his long blonde wig, face paint, and strange attire, it's no wonder that Goldust is known as the Bizarre One. But the flamboyant superstar actually began his career as Dustin Rhodes, utilizing the ring name of his father, the legendary American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. After leaving WSW, Rhodes was repackaged in the WWE as the villainous Goldust, whose inappropriate sexual contact with other wrestlers was enough to give even the most lenient HR rep, such as myself, I'm not sure if I'm lenient, but it can give them a conniption fit. This new gimmick of a movie-obsessed cross-dressing competitor slithered his way into the hearts of wrestling fans. As Goldust fought his way to numerous title runs, he made a mark in this industry, though he would revert back to his more realistic Dustin Rhodes persona numerous times over the course of his career 
it was the shocking appearance and the boundary-pushing behavior of Goldust that brought him the most fame and success in professional wrestling. So much so that when wrestling for TNA, he adopted a darker, more twisted version of the gimmick going by the name of Black Rain. No one can deny the impact that Goldust made in the industry. This legendary character will forever be remembered as one of the greatest of all time. Raven. When Scott Levy first debuted in WCW as Scotty Flamingo, no one could have imagined the profound change his gimmick would undergo in a few very short years. With his generic surfer persona, Levy did find some success as WCW light heavyweight champion, but ultimately moved on to the World Wrestling Federation. There he worked as Johnny Polo, a rich preppy manager who would sometimes even act as a color commentator. But it was in ECW where Levy found the most success, bulking up and dressing in a grunge-influenced style as Raven. With his philosophical promos, dark storylines, and brutal matches, even by ECW standards, Raven could not have been more different from the gimmicks that he came from before. He even courted controversy with a provocative angle that saw him crucify popular ECW wrestler The Sandman. The twisted persona was just what wrestling fans of the 90s needed. He was able to make the character work in all promotions, WCW, WWE, ROH, and most recently we saw in TNA, Impact Wrestling. Raven Scott Levy was able to take a character to the next level and create longevity to his career, an innovative character that will always be remembered. Quote the Raven, nevermore. The Big Red Machine, Kane. As the seven-foot-tall, hulking brother of The Undertaker, Kane is one of the most recognizable and respected members of the WWE roster. But the Big Red Monster used to do more than just make his fellow wrestlers teeth chatter, as Dr. Isaac Yankum, DDS, he'd actually remove them. Glenn Jacobs first debuted in the WWE as the devious private dentist of Jerry Lawler, for whom he would fight numerous opponents, including Bret the Hitman Hart. After he tired of his dental pursuits, Jacobs began acting as the replacement for the Diesel character that once belonged to Kevin Nash, who had recently left for WCW. Jacobs' run as Diesel was short-lived, but his most enduring gimmick was yet to come. At Bad Blood in Your House, the seven-footer appeared as the masked wrestler Kane and immediately entered into a feud with his brother, The Undertaker. While the idea of a crazed dentist is scary to some of us, Kane, with his creepy mask, brutal tactics, and the ability to control fire was a much more terrifying presence, and one that would go on to have numerous memorable feuds against the Phenom and others. And it was mentioned recently on an edition of Monday Night Raw, it was noted that Kane now holds the record for competing in the most number of matches in WWE history. What a feat. It just shows the character changes that Glenn Jacobs was able to undergo and the popularity of the most latest incarnation of Glenn Jacobs, Kane, and the popularity and longevity of the character. The Man Called Sting 
with his sculpted physique, short cropped bleach blonde hair, and brightly colored face paint sting looked exactly like what you'd expect of a late 80s bodybuilder turned wrestler. All the way into the 90s, Sting was one of WCW's most popular competitors, but his fame would truly soar once he took on a new gimmick. After a brief time away from the promotion, Sting appeared to challenge the New World Order and their recent rise to prominence. Growing his hair long, growing it out to the color black, trading in his bright face paint for grim black and white corpse paint and donning a long trench coat, Sting took on a persona that resembled that of Brandon Lee in The Crow. Becoming more reticent and preferring to hang out in the rafters during WCW Nitro, Sting even began to act more like the mystical vigilante. With his trusty black baseball bat, Sting rose to ever higher levels of popularity as one of the few wrestlers able to stand against the villainous NWO. This persona became the one for which Sting is most well known for. He continues to use it to this very day in TNA. Sting became iconic in the Crow character, and no matter which incarnation you love, the Surfer Sting or the Crow Sting, he is one of the greatest gimmicks of all time. Triple H. Paul Levesque, better known as Triple H. Hunter Hearst Helmsley previously, is one of the most popular and successful wrestlers of the current era. But where did his reigning come from, of course? The answer is the old gimmick, which I mentioned, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Though he began his career as terrorizing, get it, terrorizing, in WCW and later switched to a French gimmick as Jean-Paul Levesque, his career didn't really start taking off until joining the WWF. There, he embraced the role of the Connecticut Blue Blood, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, even going so far as to provide demonstrations on proper etiquette. But with the debut of the new faction, D-Generation X, Levesque's character did a complete 180 as he began to wear jeans. He wore t-shirts and leather jackets. He incensed both the crowd and the censors with his provocative behavior. Courtesy of DX's infamous crotch chop and sucky catchphrase, Triple H rocketed straight into WWE's main event picture, in which he's stayed ever since, and now he's a major part of the backstage influence in the WWE. He married the boss's daughter, Stephanie McMahon, and now is in charge of talent for World Wrestling Entertainment. The character of Triple H evolved over the years, went from Hunter Hearst Helmsley. You can exclusively see this in the WWE 13 video game, as it has basically every character of Triple H. The Blue Blood Triple H... Hunter Hearst Helmsley evolving to the degenerate Triple H character of D-Generation X, then evolving to the gain Triple H, bulking up considerably, a bodybuilder type, the cerebral assassin, now formed in WWE, the game has gone on to become one of the greatest of all time. The evolution of Triple H will go down as one of the greatest gimmick changes or gimmick evolutions in professional wrestling history. The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, a phenomenal wrestling pedigree, a great look, and an uncanny ability to coin catchphrases would have ensured that Dwayne Johnson found success inside the squared circle eventually. However, his original WWE debut as Rocky Maivia, playing up his relationship to both Rocky Johnson and the legendary Maivia family, at first it was a flop. 
No one was surprised at that. It was the Attitude Era, after all, and the fans just weren't interested in cheering for a clean-cut, third-generation babyface wrestler. As a result, Johnson not only turned heel, but also became the leader of the black militant faction, Nation of Domination. Shortening his name to The Rock, though The Rock started as a villainous bully, his unbelievable promos and charismatic behavior caused fans to quickly rally behind him. Though he would flip from face to heel and back again numerous times throughout the remainder of his wrestling career, The Rock's new persona stayed firmly in place as the most electrifying man in all of now entertainment. What else can you say about the people's champion? Stone Cold Steve Austin As arguably the most popular wrestler in the history of the WWF slash WWE, Stone Cold Steve Austin was the face of the company during the Attitude Era. He rallied his fans to his cause with his gimmick of a profane everyman with a proclivity for adult beverages. But fans only familiar with Austin's chrome dome might be surprised to know that he once sported long flaxen locks while teaming alongside Brian Pillman as the Hollywood Blondes in WCW, as we discuss in our Stone Cold Chronicle series. After being fired by Eric Bischoff, one of wrestling's all-time boneheaded moves when you look back at it, Austin went to WWE, where he wrestled as Ted DiBiase's hand-picked million-dollar champion, The Ringmaster. This was before taking on the persona that would catapult WWE to the top of the ratings war. The Stone Cold gimmick took the wrestling world by storm when the wrestler first spoke the words, Austin 316, after winning the King of the Ring in 1996. From there, Austin rode the success of his beer-swilling, middle-finger-flashing rebel straight to the top, reaching the pinnacle of wrestling success. Hollywood, Hulk Hogan. For millions of Hulkamaniacs worldwide, Hulk Hogan wasn't just a good guy. He was THE good guy. From the point at which his career took off in the WWF, Hogan was an unpeachable babyface. He urged many kid fans to say their prayers and take their vitamins daily. Hogan was a worldwide phenomenon and became a breakout star, not just in wrestling, but in pop culture at large. At WCW's Bash at the Beach in 1996, however, Hogan's persona underwent a marked change. To the shock and horror of wrestling fans everywhere, Hogan joined forces with Kevin Nash and Scott Hall to form the villainous New World Order, the NWO, turning heel in the process. As Hollywood Hulk Hogan, the former fan favorite, grew a beard and shed his red and yellow clothing for stark black and white garb. Though many of his fans despised him for the bullying heel he became, the Hulkster's transformation to Hollywood Hulk Hogan and alliance with the NWO ushered in one of the most successful periods in both WCW and wrestling history. Mr. McMahon a third-generation promoter and the son of Vincent J. McMahon, the original owner of the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, Vincent Kennedy McMahon was born into the wrestling industry. He first began work in his father's promotion as an in-ring announcer before eventually becoming a play-by-play announcer. Though he would go on to purchase the company from his father, McMahon continued to act as an announcer until November of 1997. 
a day in which we remember very fondly. That month, the infamous Montreal Screwjob occurred, with McMahon conspiring with Shawn Michaels, referee Earl Hebner, and others to strip Bret Hart of the WWF Championship. This real-life betrayal of an ultra-popular star resulted in McMahon being seen not just as an announcer, but a complete and utter villain. The chairman of WWE embraced the role, however, taking on the gimmick of Mr. McMahon, an exaggerated version of his real-life persona. As the cackling, power-walking, maniacal owner of the WWE, he served as one of the industry's most enduring heels. After all, who doesn't love to hate their boss? John Cena When he debuted in the WWE, John Cena was one of the bland, faceless blue-chippers. The only thing that made him stand out were his pastel tights. And then one day, Stephanie McMahon caught him freestyle rapping. Thus, Cena ditched the colorful shorts and put on some jean shorts as he adopted a white rapper gimmick. Well, that's it for Cena, some people thought. And a weird thing happened. Fans started to root for him. This totally blew fans' minds. In all actuality, what is the longevity of a rap performer? Maybe it's just a novelty act. No one really thought there would be longevity in John Cena with this initial persona. Maybe it would be good for some pop culture jokes like Vanilla Ice or Snow and a barely remembered tag team known as PG-13. There's also the public enemy that was thrown out there in ECW. But how is this black hole of a gimmick actually getting John Cena over? Then Cena took it to the next level. He started wearing throwback jerseys and pump shoes. He blinged out the U.S. title. Okay, maybe fans were okay with white rappers since the Eminem thing, so maybe this gimmick could work. But Eminem's not the kind of guy you associate with the bling. But Cena made this work. Cena was also starting to do stupid puns revolving around the words, D's nuts. Was this going to cause fans to turn on him? Finally, in less than a year, Cena would ride the white rapper gimmick all the way to the WWE heavyweight title. Oh sure, eventually some fans would get tired of the gimmick and start booing Cena, even to this very day, and Cena would gradually drop the more overt aspects of his persona, like the rap-offs, to become a superstar reminiscent of Hulk Hogan. But that doesn't change the fact that Cena parlayed a white rapper gimmick into one of the longest title reigns in WWF slash WWE history. The gimmick of John Cena evolved over the years. He started to lose, you could say, the quote-unquote edginess and became the good all-American hustle, loyalty, respect version of John Cena, 10 years strong now. But John Cena made the character work. Originally stemming from a Halloween party dressed as Vanilla Ice, John Cena made a mark in this industry. He just needed an opportunity He took the ball and ran with it, and now we are 10 years strong of hustle, loyalty, and respect from one John Cena. Hardcore Holly. On January 11th, 1994, we saw the debut of Bob Sparkplug Holly, a supposed former NASCAR driver who decided to give wrestling a try. This seemed like a definite mid-card gimmick. He did win the tag team titles with the 1-2-3 kid in the process, though. It's hard to believe they kept him on television with such a boring character for nearly five long years before realizing Holly needed some revamping. 
the repackaging that slowly started to operate during his association with the Job Squad finally happened for good in February of 1999. Since he won his first of seven hardcore championships at St. Valentine's Day Massacre, he is known as Hardcore Holly. After he became Hardcore Holly, he managed to win the Tag Team Championship on two more occasions, one with his cousin Crash and one with Cody Rhodes. Although he never became a top draw, Holly became a respected veteran when he left the company in 2009. He became this goofball of a character, Sparky Plug, Spark Plug Holly, to a rough, tough, hardcore individual. From the rocker Shawn Michaels to the heartbreak kid. From 88 to 92, Shawn formed a spectacular high-flying duo with Marty Jannetty. Their team was dubbed the Rockers, and they were very over with the fans. They would have some success together, but they never officially won the Tag Team Championship, officially. During his run in the Tag Team Division, Michaels was a typical babyface wearing colorful outfits, but he rarely picked the microphone. Then, in 1992, a major change happened in his career when he turned on his partner in the barber shop. It was more than just a heel turn. It would also become the time he became the heartbreak kid with a brand new cocky attitude. Since then, no more little flying good guy, and the fans witnessed the birth of an icon who would host an interview segment called the Heartbreak Hotel for some time. With his new persona, Michaels would ride success throughout the WWE, producing a legendary Hall of Fame career. The Heartbreak Kid was now flamboyant, dancing, all the girls loved him, and when he left, he announced, The Heartbreak Kid has left the building. A dramatic character change that was so popular, it led to his extensive career, which resulted in him being inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. The Heartbreak Kid, one of the greatest gimmick changes of all time. Brutus the Barber Beefcake Now, this superstar did not change his flamboyant outfit but he added a great twist to his gimmick when he became the WWF's official barber. When he debuted in 1984, he was already wearing his unique colorful signature ring attire, but it really had nothing to do with his future barber gimmick. Until 1987, he spent most of his run in the tag team division with some success as a villain. He and his partner, Greg the Hammer Valentine, formed a team called the Dream Team, and they had a solid reign with the tag titles that lasted 226 days. The transformation happened at WrestleMania 3 when Beefcake was replaced by Dino Bravo on the team. In fact, he was kicked out of the Dream Team, and it launched his face turn with the gimmick that made him famous. The same night, Beefcake emerged from backstage and shaved Adrian Adonis's head, who lost his match against Roddy Piper. Brutus the Barber Beefcake made his first victim at the biggest wrestling extravaganza, and he would keep this vintage gimmick until this very day. The crowds quickly fell in love with the barber's persona and were delighted when he was applying his sleeper hold to cut opponent's hair, either when he mimicked scissors with his fingers or when he held his signature gardening shears. The fans truly enjoyed the colorful barber. He never achieved success with that gimmick, despite he was one of the biggest draws at the time. Well, should we say he never achieved main event level success? The WWF probably didn't feel he needed a title to increase his already huge popularity. He was a gimmick that fit so well. 
He reached the main event level when he teamed up with Hulk Hogan on many occasions to battle in various high-profile matches. So he reached the tag team competition, but not really in singles action. With Hogan, he battled Zeus and Randy Savage in the 1989 storyline of the movie No Holds Barred. Beefcake and Hogan were also reunited in 93 for a match at WrestleMania 9 against Money Incorporated. Then following that match, Beefcake was nowhere to be seen and eventually joined WCW, had multiple gimmicks, the Butcher, the Booty Man, the Zodiac, the Disciple, but he will always be remembered as Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Rikishi. Well, Rikishi Fatu went from a Samoan wild man to a cool dancing big guy with some twists in the process. Fatu initially joined the WWE in 1992 with his teammate Samu to form the Head Shrinkers. And they had little success in this team. They were first managed by Afa, and their gimmick was pretty similar to one originally portrayed by the Wild Samoans. After two years as heels, the Head Shrinkers became faces, and with Captain Lou Albano as their new manager, they became the Tag Team Champions in 95 after a failed attempt to revive the Head Shrinkers with a new partner following the departure of Samu, Fatu started a singles run with his new Make a Difference gimmick. He was no longer the Savage Samoan, and he even started to talk. To go with his rebranded persona, Fatu shared with the fans his experiences in the hood and how to avoid traps of the streets. The whole concept did not attract the fans one bit, as it was intended, and Fatu vanished from the TV screens for several months. He reemerged in 97 behind the Sultan's Mask with the stereotype Middle Eastern character because, believe it or not, he had no tongue. As with his previous persona, Fatu was just an enhancement talent, and his most notable match was losing to Rocky Maivia at WrestleMania 13, The Rock's debut at WrestleMania. The Sultan disappeared in January of 98, and Fatu would not be seen around for nearly two years. In November of 99, the Rikishi persona debuted. Fatu was then 100 pounds heavier, and he bleached his hair blonde. And what made him very over with the fans was his famous post-match dance along with his two cool partners, Scotty Tuhati and Grandmaster Sexay. He ran with this gimmick until his release in 2004, but before leaving for good, he managed to add two tag team titles and one intercontinental title to his resume. The Rikishi character saved Fatu and created longevity for his career and made him popular in the highly successful Attitude Era. X-Pac. From 93 to 96, Sean Waltman was known as the 1-2-3 Kid, a small-sized, high-flying wrestler. He achieved some success with two short reigns as tag team champs, once with Marty Jannetty and once with Bob Sparkplug Holly. He was very over with the fans with his spectacular style and his underdog gimmick, but he had limited success in that role. His biggest win in that period was against Razor Ramon in one of the biggest upsets in Raw history, which I was lucky to witness in person. He also battled Bret Hart over the WWF title in a valiant losing effort. Great match. I'd suggest go back, watch that Bret Hart 1-2-3 kid match on Raw. Jim Ross remarks on one of the greatest matches in Raw history. He eventually turned heel and joined the Million Dollar Corporation, but he soon left for World Championship Wrestling 
under the gimmick of six. And he joined the NWO, the New World Order. Waltman made his return to the WWF in 1998. He had a brand new attitude and style to fit a new version of D-Generation X. He was then known as X-Pac, and he played a discreet but important role in the Attitude Era. He was a part of the DX Army during the Monday Night Wars, and he participated in the famous invasion of WCW Nitro in April of 1998. During that period, he won the European title on two occasions. X-Pac also formed an odd but successful tag team with Kane in 99, and they won the tag team titles twice. After the DX adventure, the X-Pac character remained, and he managed to win the light heavyweight championship twice and the cruiserweight title once in 2001 before leaving a year later. All in all, the Sean Waltman transformation was extreme. He went from a small-sized underdog with flashy outfits to an arrogant member of one of the most influential stables in pro wrestling history. King Booker. Now, this is a little different situation because... Booker T was successful in both personas, but the new character of King Booker sent him to the next level in the WWE, which led him to championship status. Booker T made a name for himself with WCW and was a five-time, 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 five-time WCW heavyweight champion before the company was bought by Vince McMahon. Booker T continued with about the same gimmick when he became a WWE employee. He was that cool guy from the ghetto, but he had regular trunks with his signature gloves. His attitude was more flashy than his wrestling attire. But from 2001 to 2006, Booker T had to climb the ladder again to make his way to the top of the WWE. He feuded with the biggest names in the business, such as John Cena, Kurt Angle, and The Undertaker. He also won all the secondary championships available until he became the 2006 King of the Ring. From then on, he started to wear flamboyant king outfits and adopted an arrogant royal attitude, including an actual accent. He formed King Booker's Court and talked, like I said, with a type of mock British accent. Despite his new odd look really not fitting with the image he built over the past 10 years, he received his ultimate push in the company and won the World Heavyweight Championship. During his 126-day reign, he claimed he was the king of the world. The character fit him so well, it was a great evolution of Booker T, and King Booker made himself into a bona fide main event player in that era of the WWE. These next two superstars made a drastic change to their characters, and in turn, it made them a successful duo during the Attitude Era, the New Age Outlaws, the Road Dog Jesse James, and Badass Billy Gunn. Initially, I was just going to mention Billy Gunn as a part of this gimmick change show, but I truly feel when you look back at it that both members of the Outlaw group, a part of D-Generation X, had gimmick changes that made them successful and created longevity to their careers which even extends to this very day, as both now are back with the WWE in behind-the-scenes roles. The road dog, Jesse James, came from WCW, a part of the Armstrong family, brought on as the roadie, the manager-slash-roadie of Jeff Jarrett, Double J. Then he became the real Double J, the man behind the music of Jeff Jarrett, the real voice behind the music with my baby tonight. And then... 
the real Double J was born, Jesse James. In turn, throw the Honky Tonk Man in there, which kind of bridged the gap between Billy Gunn and the Road Dog, as the Honky Tonk Man was involved with both wrestlers as to who would be his new apprentice. The Road Dog was created as both he and Billy Gunn turned on the Honky Tonk Man. And as a result, the Road Dog, Jesse James, was born. A bridge from the roadie and Jesse James, the Road Dog, was now an outlaw. His fellow tag team partner, Billy Gunn, started out with the Smoking Guns, Billy and Bart, the brothers. The Guns, they were tag team champions and successful ones at that. They made a great duo for the time in a very lackluster mid-80s WWE roster. That led to a heel turn for Billy, and he had that lone gun type of gimmick of a cowboy gone wrong or gone rogue. Then there was the infamous Rockabilly gimmick, as he then was associated with the Honky Tonk Man as his new apprentice. And like I mentioned with Jesse James, they turned on the Honky Tonk Man to form a tag team. They were the New Age Outlaws. And in turn, the road dog Jesse James started to introduce the badass Billy Gunn. Now the badass character evolved as well past the Outlaws. After they joined D-Generation X, the New Age Outlaws, they disbanded for a point, and then Billy Gunn became Mr. Ass, where his song, I'm an Ass Man, was featured heavily, and he won the King of the Ring. He had some mid-card success as the Mr. Ass character. He became the one Billy Gunn, but it didn't last much longer, and he was repackaged once again and sent back in the tag team division in which he was most successful. Then in 01 to 02, he formed the unorthodox duo with Billy and Chuck, comprising of Chuck Palumbo, and now one Billy, Billy Gunn. They portrayed sort of homosexual characters, and they even pushed the audacity to do an on-screen wedding together on SmackDown. After being sidelined due to an injury, Mr. Ass came back in the middle of 2003 for a last run with the company, and then he was released the following year in November, despite being a top face. Billy Gunn, one of the best hands in the business, evolved his character, which made him popular in a highly successful Attitude Era as Mr. Ass. No one will forget his theme song, I'm an Ass Man. Umaga, the late Umaga, Rikishi's younger brother, entered the WWE as Jamal, part of Three Minute Warning, with his cousin, Rosie. Here, he had only a short run and eventually was cut from the roster. When he returned, he was repackaged, as you guessed it, the stereotypical Samoan wrestler, Umaga. But he made it work, initially coming out with Armando Alejandro Estrada. The team worked well together as manager and monster. You could say the peak of the Umaga character was at WrestleMania, when he took on Bobby Lashley in the hair versus hair match between Donald Trump and Vince McMahon at WrestleMania 23. From Jamal to Umaga, a great gimmick change that made him stand out above the pack. He is definitely missed. The Macho King, Randy Savage. Randy Savage is one of the reasons why many fans got hooked on professional wrestling. The bright colors, the unique voice, the mega powers, and the flying elbow. Why wouldn't a kid 10 years or younger be drawn to professional wrestling by seeing the Macho Man. He was a true performer who played his gimmick so well. But then a gimmick change happened as the Macho Man became the Macho King. He was the king of wrestling. It fit. He made it work. 
He had Queen Sherry as his counterpart, and the character was just an evolution of the Macho Man gimmick, and it worked so well as the Macho King made it work. Dig it! From Bob Backlund to Mr. Backlund. Once upon a time, back in the late 70s and early 80s, Bob Backlund was one of the greatest WWE World Champions of all time. He was a classic, technically sound babyface wrestler with a very traditional wrestling attire. He was a shy guy, but at the same time very over with the fans because of his great in-ring work rather than his charisma. He was respected by everyone, but he didn't have that superstar aura to carry the WWF in the golden age like the Hulkster Hulk Hogan. After seven years with the company and 2,135 days as WWF champion, take that CM Punk, he became outdated and left in August of 1984. Backlund came back in 92, nearly 10 years later, with the same old gimmick, but the fans didn't care about him and the new generation of fans didn't even know who he was. For nearly two years, he ran with that old school gimmick, then he snapped after he lost against Bret Hart in a match billed as Old vs. New Generation encounter in July of 94. From that moment, the good old Bob Backlund became Mr. Backlund. Mr. Backlund was a psychotic persona, wearing a two-piece suit and bow tie. During that time, he became a joke of a transitional WWF champion between Bret Hart and Diesel when he held the title for three days. But he was back as world champion. I love this gimmick of Mr. Backlund. It showed his true personality. You know, that maniacal gimmick, he acted like a possessed man that applied his signature cross-faced chicken wing on anyone at any given moment. Then, when he released the hold, he looked at his hands, wondering what just happened. It worked so well. He revolutionized his character, made that psychotic, yet political character work. His last match was at WrestleMania 11, as he lost with some controversy against Bret Hart. After he retired from the ring, he was put in a short-lived, lame storyline in which he tried to become a candidate for the position of President of the United States. Backlund vanished with no fanfare, but then a few years later... He made a few appearances as manager for the Sultan in 96 to 97 and for Kurt Angle in 2000. And then he had a brief stint, if you remember, in TNA as he would wander, of course, the grounds of Universal Studios. But the Bob Backlund character worked. He's still in great shape to this very day, but Mr. Backlund sent him to the next level. Now, the so-called Final Four, in which we'll wrap up the show discussing, are the, in my opinion, the epitome of gimmick changes and why it makes these individuals so special and memorable in the professional wrestling industry. Y2J Chris Jericho. From his early days as Lionheart, Jericho was non-stop in terms of evolving his character. From the initial white meat babyface catering to the fans, come on baby! To the very crybaby-esque Chris Jericho, who became Cruiserweight Champion, the very snide, cocky, you know, Monday Night Jericho, Jericho-holic gimmick in World Championship Wrestling, that crybaby whining attitude made him stand out above the pack and made him a bright and rising star in the industry that carried over to the WWE as the Y2J character. The Millennium Man, it seemed as if Jericho always was evolving his character then transitioning to a rocker-style gimmick with his band Fozzie. Now, rocker Chris Jericho was on the prowl. 
after a couple of disappearances from the company, after a long tenure in the WWE, he came back with a different style. From nicknames such as the Ayatollah of Rock and Rolla, the highlight of the night, Y2J, to even changing his hair when he came back from his first long stint away from the organization, to now the short hair, spiky rocker look that he displayed. Jericho was ever so evolving. But you could say the biggest transition for Chris Jericho took place when he came back to the WWE. The white meat babyface, come on baby, rocker gimmick wasn't going over so well with the fans. Therefore, a major transformation had to occur. Chris Jericho then turned himself into the best in the world. A straight and pure heel. He traded in his rocker look to three-piece suits walking very slowly to the ring, using an extended vocabulary, and claiming he was the best in the world, the best at everything he does. The gimmick worked so well, so well in fact you can say, that the fans started to even cheer him towards the latter portion of the character. He became tag team champions with the Big Show, world heavyweight champion. Chris Jericho reinvented himself. He constantly is doing so, and that's why he is still relevant to this very day. Next up are the three faces of Foley. There is no other wrestler who can shift between three distinct characters as swiftly and as easily as McFoley. We all know the characters Cactus Jack, the hardcore legend, Dude Love, the ladies' man, and Mankind, the demented one. Three gimmicks, all with their own personality traits and agendas. Yet all three gimmicks were as capable as each other, and there was no difference where they stood in the scheme of things. Upon retirement, we finally got the last gimmick change, and we saw the true face of Foley, that of Mick himself. Even after retirement, Mick was able to keep himself in the game and still relevant. Mick Foley, the face of Foley, the art of the gimmick change. Now, the second-to-last superstar here, to me personally, is one of the greatest gimmick changes because he truly reinvented his career, and we found his true persona that fits so well and is still relevant to this very day. From Justin Hawk Bradshaw to JBL. It takes a good actor to pass from a hardcore Texan cowboy to a bar brawlers for hire than to a rich businessman. And JBL is just that. A great actor. Great performer. When he debuted with the WWE in 1996, he was a long-haired cowboy who branded his defeated opponents. He was managed by Uncle Zebakaya, Dutch Mantel, but his initial gimmick was abandoned after 10 months. Then in February of 97, he was repackaged, and he formed a tag team known as the New Blackjacks, along with Barry Windham, to become Blackjack Bradshaw. Both men were a copy of the original Blackjacks, with their black hair and mustaches. However, the New Blackjacks were just a plain copy of the originals, and they had zero success. When Blackjack Wyndham was put out of action due to injuries, Bradshaw continued in solo action with the same attire, but still as an enhancement talent of sorts. Finally, after nearly three years of roaming in the low mid-card at best, he upgraded his status when he was put together with Farouk to form the Acolytes as part of the Undertaker's Ministry of Darkness. In fact, both men's careers were going nowhere before they started their successful association in December of 98. As members of the ministry, they won the tag team championship twice before the stable disbanded. 
Then in January of 2000, the Acolyte Protection Agency, the APA, was officially created. The APA offered their protection services to those who paid the most. They also cut many memorable promos in their famous APA room in which many poker games were played. In 2001, they had their third and final WWE Tag Team Championship reign together. Bradshaw and Farouk were split at the May 2002 draft, but they kept their gimmick, reuniting on some occasions until 2004. Then in March, a new persona appeared on SmackDown. It was JBL, the arrogant heel who claimed to be better than everyone and who received his long-awaited main event pushed. The 17-time hardcore champion became world heavyweight champion in June the same year. His reign had an impressive length of 280 days as WWE champion. But what goes up must come down, and JBL eventually dropped on the card. He had some great feuds in the bottom of the top card until the end of his career, and he completed the Grand Slam Championship by winning the U.S. and Intercontinental titles. Ultimately, as the infamous guy in the complete suit with a tie and his signature cowboy hat, JBL became one of the best and greatest heels ever in this business. And now, he extended his talents and transformed and transitioned into the broadcast booth, and now is a very solid color commentator. He was commentating a few years ago, and then we luckily got him back this past year in 2012. JBL, the definition of gimmick transformation. The final superstar that we'll discuss tonight is the prime example, the epitome, you could say, of gimmick evolution. The Undertaker. Mark Calloway's case is unique because The Undertaker's gimmick was in constant evolution without drastic changes until the time the dead man became mortal with his human biker persona. When The Undertaker debuted in 1990, he portrayed a living dead man, impervious to pain, who never talked more than once or twice a year. With his signature black and gray attire, he went from mega heel to top babyface in 1992. Then, in 94, he became the Phenom after his first and most spectacular death when he was attacked during his Royal Rumble match against Yokozuna. It took 10 men to keep the dead man down and stuff him in a casket. For months, vignettes featuring witnesses of The Undertaker's ghosts were aired until the Phenom reappeared at the 1994 SummerSlam. Basically, there were no major changes except for his gray gloves and tie that actually became purple. He took on his fellow Undertaker. It was Undertaker versus Undertaker, the real phenom against the fake imposter, which was found out to be Brian Lee. If the makeover was not extreme, the Undertaker gradually started to show he was not unstoppable, particularly when he faced Mankind. At the 1996 Survivor Series, The Undertaker came back with a whole new attire after he was buried alive by Mankind and friends two months prior. For his second rebirth, the Phenom descended from the ceiling with brand new black outfits from that point on with some variations until 1999. He went from the face 
Lord of Darkness to the heel leader of the Ministry of Darkness with that look. After he had to take an extended break from September 99 to May of 2000 due to an injury, he returned in action with a very drastic change. He was then known as the American Badass, a biker who came to the ring on a motorcycle. It was the most human-like persona he ever portrayed with the WWE and had nothing supernatural a part of his character. Calloway ran with the biker's persona for about three years until 2004 at WrestleMania 20. This was as a result from him being buried alive once again at the 2003 Survivor Series by Kane and Vince McMahon. But since WrestleMania 20, he is the Undertaker with less power than in the 90s, but he still has received that iconic stature that lingered with his career, if not even more so as now he is a legend, a bona fide legend in the industry. His streak of 20-0 will live on forever, even though he may seem a little bit more human now, as he seems beatable at times, he still is a legend and the patriarch in professional wrestling. Most believe that he will retire with this last incarnation of the Phenom. He is the definition of gimmick evolution in professional wrestling. He managed to tweak his character throughout the times, initially as the dead man, zombie-like undertaker, being led towards the ring by Paul Barra, to adding the purple colors, and we saw more of the supernatural type of abilities that the undertaker has. And then as the Attitude Era came about, the Ministry of Darkness, the dark, evil Undertaker, loomed about with that ominous tone with his creatures and minions a part of his ministry. Then from there he transitioned to the biker, American badass Undertaker, which led to the evolution of him going back to the Dead Man character. For over 20 years, the Undertaker has dominated the sport, the industry. He is the definition of gimmick evolution and gimmick changes, successful ones in professional wrestling. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Time to thank the sponsors of Beyond the Bell. They help bring this pro wrestling nostalgia podcast to you each and every week. Barbershop Window, the place that makes wrestling t-shirts cool again to wear. They release brand new shirts each and every week. Follow them on Twitter at Bshop Window and go to barbershopwindow.com now to make your wrestling wardrobe cool again. The SNS Radio Network, your home for pro wrestling, mixed martial arts, and video gaming. Get all the latest news and listen to innovative audio released daily. The network is anchored by the two flagship shows, Wrestling News Live and Sunday Night Showdown. So go to snsradionetwork.com now. If you're not listening, you're not trying. Ringannouncing.com, the home of the future of ring announcing. Sean Beckerman. You can watch the latest videos and demo reels of Sean Beckerman on the independent wrestling scene. Go to ringannouncing.com and follow the future of ring announcing. Combat Zone Wrestling on DVD. 
catch the ultraviolet wrestling promotion on TV or on your computer. You can purchase all CZW ultraviolet events on DVD and stream them live straight on your desktop computer at czwrestling.com. Get ready to get ultraviolet with CZW. The National Wrestling Alliance. Tried, tested, honored, and revered. These three initials have represented wrestling since 1948. The NWA has been the breeding ground for the greatest stars in wrestling. You can catch the NWA nationwide through multiple affiliates from coast to coast. The National Wrestling Alliance. Go to nwarrestling.org. Preserving tradition and blazing new paths. If you are interested in becoming a sponsor for Beyond the Bell, send all requests to btbwrestling at gmail.com. Join the Beyond the Bell revolution now. It's go time. WrestleMania season, and it's WrestleMania time here at Beyond the Bell. Last year, the entire month of March was filled with WrestleMania-themed content. This year will be no different. Throughout the month of March, leading into the biggest event of the year for sports entertainment, we will be releasing tons of WrestleMania-themed content. Get ready for Volume 2 of the stories behind WrestleMania. Split into three parts where we look back at the previous 28 WrestleManias and the stories behind each and every spectacular event. Get ready to go back in time and learn about the untold stories behind the granddaddy of them all. We will celebrate the 2013 class of the WWE Hall of Fame. Look back at the careers of each inductee and how they made their mark in the world of professional wrestling. And then leading up to the biggest event of the year, you can listen to Beyond the Bell Extra Editions as I will be on site at WrestleMania 29. You will hear audio from myself on site at the location MetLife Stadium from the 2013 Hall of Fame in Madison Square Garden and at WWE Access at the IZOD Center, formerly the Meadowlands Arena. All three locations will be there live on site. We will give you a first-hand look, or should I say listen, to the sights and sounds of WrestleMania weekend. All this and more during WrestleMania season at Beyond the Bell, starting this March. Get ready, because it's WrestleMania! Oh, the art of the gimmick change. Old school wrestling fans, we took you back in time to relive the greatest gimmick changes in professional wrestling history. This is a part, once again, of our Gimmick Gala series, we look back at the greatest and worst gimmicks in professional wrestling. In the weeks to come, we'll look back at, of course, the worst gimmicks, the opposite end in professional wrestling. That is going to be a fun one. So many to choose from. It may be a four or five hour podcast. Maybe in multiple parts. Who knows? Also, we'll discuss the greatest masked men in professional wrestling history, all a part of our Gimmick Gala series. For you new fans out there of Beyond the Bell, each and every week, features new content that takes you back in time to rewind and relive all things nostalgia in professional wrestling and sports entertainment. 
every episode features a different theme that's geared to all things retro in wrestling. On every episode, we take you behind the mic to give you a snapshot, an idea of what it is like to be a ring announcer on the independent wrestling scene. And we cap it all off with some old school music. We take you back in time to relive the greatest and worst themes and songs in professional wrestling history. Connect socially to Beyond the Bell on our Facebook fan page. Follow me on Twitter at Sean Beckerman. Watch and listen to retro wrestling clips and ring announcing footage of me on the independent circuit on YouTube under the username Ring Announcing. Access the Beyond the Bell archives on SNSRadioNetwork.com and my official website, ringannouncing.com have all the latest episodes of beyond the bell automatically downloaded on your smartphone via itunes stitcher and tune in radio now let's go for the three count and wrap it up and take it home with some old school music the first superstar we mentioned tonight was the godfather charles wright he went through so many gimmick changes but the most popular incarnation of charles wright was the godfather So let's take it home tonight with the Godfather's theme from the Attitude Era from the WWE. This is your personal ring announcer, Sean Beckerman, signing off. Until next week, when we rewind and relive all things retro and wrestling, I'll see you at the matches. Come get on the train. (laughs) Pippin' ain't easy. Ain't easy.